Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have Joseph back with Rapid Fire Investments. And he flew in from Montgomery, Alabama to talk about how he's doing a $500,000 a month in fees at just 25 years old. Now, he did just turn 26, but this is already happening at 25. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer. Every month, we help hundreds of people buy more houses at deeper margins. If you want more information about that, DM me the word sales on Instagram and my team will help you out. I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires and the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, I assure you, that, I assure you, you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. If you want access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country, go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value out of the show, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together and we are actively hiring in all positions. If you're interested in potentially working with us, reach out to us and we do have a special show next week. Par in the disruption. Be sure to check that out next week. Ready? Ready. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Yeah, so I'll, I'll bring it back um, all the way to, to growing up in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, went to the University of Kentucky. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Actually started out in computer engineering, bounced around a little bit, ended up in the finance department, um, and, and kind of had my heart set on investment banking. Um, be able to uh, go up to New York City and uh, do an internship in investment bank up there between my junior and senior year, and I hated it. I hated every second of it. Hated the investment banking um, side. Uh, yeah, it was it was rough. I mean, we're I was coming in at eight a.m., leaving at uh, you know eleven, twelve p.m. at night every single day, sometimes even later. And um, it wasn't just that, but also looking at the the managing directors was kind of the, the highest up you can go in the investment banking world. And you know, these guys are making a million dollars a year, but they were still coming in at eight, not leaving until 10 p.m. every single day. And so kind of was lost after that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do going into my senior year. And I uh, was fortunate enough to um, get into a class called Intro to Real Estate at the University of Kentucky. And it was kind of a unique class because it wasn't taught by a normal, uh, normal professor. It was actually uh, taught by a guy by the name of uh, Jonah Mitchell. He's a, uh, a junk professor, which basically means he's not a full-time teacher. He just teaches this one, one class and has a full-time career outside of that. So he, um, we, we met every Wednesday from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. And um, outside of, of school, he actually was a, a full-time real estate guy. So he owned mm -hmm. his own property management company, owned his own brokerage, owned a large portfolio of rental properties. And sitting in his class and learning from him uh, was the first time where I sat in a class and I inspired and wanted to be like the professor because – by all means, he'd made it. He lived in what I perceived as a mansion. He was his own boss. He was financially free. And it wasn't like he was some super genius. He just worked really hard on his craft for a very long period of time um, and made it. And that's what sparked the interest. Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily wanted to go into real estate full-time at that, at that point, but I definitely wanted to invest part-time at least. Mm -hmm. um, started consuming a lot of content, education, mainly bigger pockets at that time, uh, listening to their podcast. And... Um, Actually, in the, the winter break over in my senior year, I was networking in some real estate groups and actually reached out and said, posted my resume on uh, the Facebook group and said, hey, I, um, I'm really interested in real estate. I want to intern for somebody. Um, I, I feel like I understand the number side of the business, but I have no idea how to swing a hammer. I have no idea how construction works. I'll come mow grass, paint for free if you just let me shadow you 
while while you flip a house or renovate a house. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a few people reach out, uh, but the most compelling was actually um, a guy by the name of Scott Pennebaker, who was a, a successful entrepreneur outside of real estate uh, there in Lexington. Him and his partners owned a uh, a company that bought and sold uh, used college te- textbooks nationwide. They made a lot of money from that, and they were taking those profits and investing them in single-family rental properties there in Lexington. And um, up to that point, they had bought all their deals just from realtors on the market, um, but they were wanting to go direct to seller. And so, How long ago was this? This was um, early 2018. Early 2018. Um, so before we, we continue, I want to ask yeah, you just yeah. a couple of quick questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so first, investment banking, that's what we're talking about, right? So were you like yeah. going up intern for like Goldman Sachs kind of organizations? It, it was a middle market bank. Um, I applied to a lot of investment banks. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them do not hire from SEC schools. They're looking at the Harvards and uh, Yales of the world. So I networked really, really hard. I mean, even that to get that position that I got, mm-hmm. I probably sent over three or 4,000 cold emails. Um, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't brave enough to cold call people yet, but um, I was sending cold emails and just networked my way into that position. So that, but that was what you were studying. Yeah, yeah. And then when you got there, it wasn't the work itself, but the, or the, the, the culture that was a turnoff? It was the culture, and the work itself is also just very not interesting. Um, okay. You don't really get to get into the actual numbers until you're pretty high up in the organization. I was essentially a glorified PowerPoint creator. That's all I did all day <laughs> was format and make PowerPoints look Got it. the best they could. And then the other thing you're talking about was the adjunct professor. Yeah. Right? And it's fascinating because it's cool that you got to meet a professor that's actually doing it. And yeah. one of the complaints I have, right, with at least the education side, is I have a bunch of people teaching us business that yeah. have never ran a business before. Yeah, oh, very true. All right, very, very so it's really cool that you had the opportunity to learn from someone that's actually in the real world. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so you're going back. Okay, you're working with. Yeah, so we're working. Uh, well, just interning for them, they started sending some direct mail, and I was the one um, answering the phone calls, like in between classes, and um, going on appointments with Scott to look at the houses. And um, we actually, you know, this is back in 2018 before it got extremely competitive, and we actually had a ton of traction for just those first few direct mail campaigns. Um, and we had more deals sitting in front of us than they even wanted to to buy. I know what to do with them. We're like, these are good deals. We shouldn't just let them go to waste. And we're like, try this wholesale thing. Mm-hmm. We download an assignment contract from some online website. And um, we were actually able to close a few pretty good-sized wholesale deals right before I graduated in June of 2018. And um, up to that point, I already had a position I was planning to go to in wealth management. I didn't think there was anything here for me full-time um, in the wholesale side. But, and they sent me down you know, those partners sent me down right before I graduated and said, Hey, we think there might be something here. Um, we don't have a lot of time. We're running, managing this textbook company. Um, but if you want to spearhead this and try to build something out of this wholesale business, you know, it'd be a hundred percent commission, but we'll, we'll back you. We'll put the money behind the marketing. Um, and so I jumped to that opportunity and that's, that's kind of how I got into real estate. Uh, I was building a business for someone else. Um, you know, changed a lot since then, but that's kind of how I got my, and they were buying predominantly from realtors, you said? Yeah, yeah, up until that so point. They were buying predominantly from realtors, had too many deals. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And they started wholesaling. Exactly. So we, we sent this, I mean, it was probably five or six direct mail campaigns, of like 5,000 letters. Yeah. And I mean, we were getting two or 3% response rates and just a ton of deals throwing at us. Slightly different time. Them. Slightly different time. Very <laughs> different time. Yeah. Okay. So um, who, was, who was handling the wholesale? They were or you were? I was. So basically, they brought me on full time right after I graduated in June 2018 to, to build a wholesale business. Got it. Because their their time was really invested in managing the textbook company. Was so let's walk sizable. through that very first deal that because again, like this is exploratory. Like you know, you yeah. didn't even know if wholesale was going to work for you guys. Yeah. 
So let's talk about that very first transaction you guys did. Um, to be honest, I don't even remember because I, I was kind of doing it part time there for a little bit. So I would only see parts of each deal. I would either answer the phone call or go to the appointment, but then they would handle it from there. When I think the really the first so the first deal I really ever did was actually a rental property I bought. Mm-hmm. Um, that was literally the week after I graduated, um, and it was it was a pretty cool situation. A, a burnout landlord had, had posted a list of it looks like 45 properties on this Facebook page saying, Hey, you know, I need some money to go renovate this big apartment complex. I want to sell, I'll sell any of these. It was an Excel sheet with the address, bed, bath count, what it's rented for and the price. He posted it at like six o'clock on a Wednesday. And this is right when I, I kind of figured out how I was going to buy my first property after talking to some banks. And so that night I dug in and basically ran my own little appraisal on all 46 properties. Um, I was up to like 3 a.m. because I wanted to figure out if there's any of these worth buying because they were in good areas. Um, I identified five that should, right when you buy it, have at least 25% immediate equity easily. And they were all, you know, right at the 1% rule or better. And I, I came to my boss then, Scott, and said, hey, I think these are worth going after. And I think if we try to buy five of them, we can maybe even get them for a discount than what he's asking. It's kind of a package deal. Yep. And, you know, you all can have four of them because you're still looking to buy properties. And I buy one. And he said yes. And so that's how I got my very first one is a little four bed, one bath, Cape Cod style house. Um, it was awesome. It was probably the best deal I've ever done. Um, it was already rented for $850 a month, but it was, the tenant was 100% on Section 8. Taking good care of the property. Um, and we bought it for $70,000. And the plan was just to do an immediate um, refinance out. We mm-hmm. bought it cash. And what most people don't know is with Section 8, especially if the tenant's not really paying any of the money, you can um, request a rent raise every year. Well, that landlord hadn't done it for four years. So even before we closed, I was like, I'm just going to take a shot at it. Mm-hmm. And then I sent a rent raise request to $1,150 a month, even though the market rates over there are like 900 And they said, no, you're crazy. You know, we'll do 1000 I was like, awesome. So I right. got $150 rent raise um, right before we even closed. And um, that house we bought it for 70 we didn't put a dime into it already had a tenant in place renting for thousand dollars a month and literally the next week i went to a local bank said hey i want to refinance this i said we'll give you 80 percent of what it appraises for an appraiser go out and appraise for a hundred thousand dollars we could have pulled ten thousand out above what we had into it but we were mm-hmm. trying to be a little conservative and it was very me. first deal uh so that very first deal i partnered with my dad so got it being i was 100 percent commission of 1099 this no is before you got married me. yeah yeah way before that way before that yeah okay so you were spearheading this wholesaling operation. Yes. Um, those guys now, are they more wholesaling or textbook company? Um, so the, the textbook company essentially went bankrupt in, mm-hmm. in, in COVID. Um, they relied on going and meeting with professors face-to-face yeah. um, to buy the textbooks from professors. Unfortunate. So, very unfortunate. So they're very focused on real estate now. They do a lot of wholesale. Um, they're a I big mean, competitor of ours in, in the Lexington market. So. Well, I mean, it, it, they, they kind of saw <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, was, yeah. what was possible. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're helping them run this organization. How long were you in that seat, uh, helping them with the wholesaling before you said, you know what, guys, thanks for everything. I'm off on my own. Yeah. So I was with the start of June 2018 full time. Those first six months, we were just figuring things out, not doing much of anything besides learning what doesn't work. Um, and then 2018, we kind of figured out what works, and we hired a few people. And you know, 2019 was my my only full year with them. And um, we did just over a hundred wholesale deals, right? A million dollars in assignment revenue. But towards the end of that, um, you know, 
I don't want to see, I wanted to be a partner in the business. I felt like I was the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. but they weren't open to give me any sort of equity in the business as well as we kind of had some differences on what the next step was for growth. Um, and that lined up with my then fiance, now wife, Kristen, um, getting into vet school uh, down at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. So everything kind of aligned for me to, to jump down there and start my own thing in Montgomery. Uh, so yeah. that's how I, I moved down there end of 2019. Okay, so difference of opinion, yep. difference in values, or a difference in opinion of your value. Yeah. Difference of opinion in the vision. Yep. And you were moving anyway. Yeah. So. All right, okay. So you go off on your own. So 2020 is your first full year. Yeah, first full year on my okay, own. Okay, because yep. I think I met you in Collective Genius. Mm-hmm. I think I met you, I want to say... Our first in-person meeting was like maybe September. December 2020. Oh, it was Dece- yeah. oh that's right. It was December. It was yeah, for Christmas. yeah, down in yeah. Clearwater, yep. So that was your first, you're wrapping up your first full year. Because I was like, man, yeah. like this kid's got like a really bright future. Obviously, we're well past <laughs> bright future. <laughs> yeah. You're living it. But I remember like just thinking like this kid's got a really bright future. So let's talk about that journey. What yeah. was your very first year like? Especially you got to, you know, experience it during COVID. Yeah, well, that's fine. We're in Alabama, so... It- the COVID, COVID didn't really was happen. like three weeks long, um, <laughs> but it's pretty much how it was here in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, that didn't affect much, but yeah, learned a lot going on my own. You know, it's very difficult going somewhere. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know a single buyer, anybody at all, and um, establishing those relationships right away. And then that first full year, 2020, it was just me and you know, me, Eric, and, and one other employee who's an acquisition sales rep. Um, I think we did right at 65, 70 deals, right at 700,000 in revenue, and. Um, going into that December 2020 CG meeting, we were kind of, you know, thinking, I mean, we're the, we're the, the top dogs here in Montgomery. We're going to go in here. Maybe we'll learn some stuff from some guys, but we'll also probably teach some people too. Mm-hmm. And we walk in there and it feels like it's a room full of sharks and we're this little minnow, like, <laughs> oh my gosh. But it also, what that really did for us was, you know, we thought up to that point that the most deals you could ever do in Montgomery, you know, it's 400,000 metro population was, you know, maybe 85, 95, maybe a hundred deals in a really good year. And then we go walk in there and we see, you know, people like Eric Brewer doing 400 deals in York, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, you see Irby doing 100 plus deals in each of their small little markets. And it really changed our mindset of what's possible. And that is what empowered us to go back and say, all right, we are going to turn the dial up on marketing. We are going to hire more people and there's going to be a return. It's not going to be for nothing. And that's what allowed us to have a, a really great 2021 uh, and actually do 152 deals just in that Montgomery office. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. Well, and you talk about right, like you felt like you were the top dog. And you went over there, and you got yeah. you learned a little bit of humility, right? Oh, big time! And uh, I kind of made the joke earlier. I was on a coaching call, and I kind of shared like, well, you know, I w- we won't be doing any coaching calls next week because I'm gonna I'm I'm going to get humbled next week. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's, right. Every time I go, you get a big big uh, big slice of humble pie. Yeah, it's like, man, they're doing what? How's that possible? And you ask, yeah. and so like, it's it's really cool. Like for those guys that are listening to the show, right? You're hearing all these guys are doing really big things. We're sitting in a room and like everyone's kicking our butts. Yeah, so it's, it's it's always a good experience. It is. It really um, is. Okay, so then what were the big things that you guys did in 2020 that helped you guys a lot? In 2020. In 2020. In 2020. Or um, what lessons did you learn along the way? We we learned some lessons. Um, at that point, I feel like you know we're we're a real company now. Back then, it just felt like you know it was three dudes just wheeling dealing deals all day. Um, no structure, hardly any processes or systems. But we figured out who the players were in the market. We figured out a few marketing strategies that worked in our market. Um, and that was about it for 2020. You know, mm-hmm. Just getting up and working hard every day was what empowered us to do those deals. It wasn't really any sort of structure or process for that. Yeah. 
And then you said you went from 70-something to 140-something? Yeah, so in just the Montgomery office, um, we went from just at 70 deals in 2020 to 152 closed uh, in uh, 2021. Okay, so more than double your operation. So you already you felt like you were the big dog. Yeah. And then you more than doubled your opera, uh, your your production. Mm-hmm. What were some of the key things you guys did to help you grow so much in 2021? Yeah, I think um, I like to say that we we came up with some some kind of cool new strategy or process, but it really was a lot of stuff that you know that we learned in those quarterly meetings and taking mm-hmm. those back and implementing them. The number one one number one thing was really just having the confidence to because we already had a, a small amount of structure, a, a good CRM, a good a few good processes and systems, but having the confidence to go in and actually say, all right, we are going to hire two more acquisition sales reps. We are going to hire a dedicated inside sales rep. We're going to hire a full-time transaction manager, and we're going to increase our marketing budget from ten thousand a month to forty thousand a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and learned a lot of lessons along the way by doing those things, and had good fits, bad fits on the people side. Um, that was the number one thing: is just realizing that we weren't going to hire these people and turn the marketing up, and then just have to fire them all because there's no more deals to be had. Right. Um, just realizing how deep you can go in an individual market. Um, that was the number one reason I think we were able to have as much success as we did in 2021. So basically um, seeing a similar blueprint exactly. as far as organization structure and yes. going back and executing it and then also having the confidence slash courage because it takes a little bit of that mm-hmm. to start spending 40000 a month. Yeah. So realizing if A, we need to hire the right people and then B, once we hire the right people, we need to increase marketing. Yep. Okay. What were some of the big marketing things you guys were doing in order to scale, because forty thousand is not, yeah. Know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's a lot of different opp- opportunities when you have that when you're spending that much. Yeah. What were some of the biggest, most effective uh, marketing channels you guys are doing? Yeah. So some of the same stuff we're doing today. Um, direct mail always has been good for us. Just turning up the amount and volume we're sending there. Um, we started doing TV with with Darren and Bullseye Branding, and that's worked phenomenal. Um, and that that's a big chunk of that forty. Um, and as well as just ramping up the level of cold calling and texting we were doing, you know, before we had one full-time cold caller, now we have 10 full-time cold callers, mm-hmm. well, five dedicated to the Montgomery market. So a lot of it was just taking something that maybe gave us like two leads a week and saying, all right, we're going to ramp it up and make this actually be a, a lead source that produces for us and not just something that's kind of a, a distraction. Yeah. Um, but those are the big things is TV, direct mail, texting, and cold calling. Okay. And so it's 150 something transactions in Montgomery. Yes. And then what is, you said Lexington is the other market? Yeah, Lexington is the other market right now. That's the market I already knew. I'd kind of build a business there. And mm-hmm. um, when my non compete ran out um, in um, late 2020, um, I, uh, I started that office and really um, took a while for it to get going, get some momentum. Um, but in 2021, that office uh, did right at 50 deals, um, I think uh, 700,000 in revenue. And then they've, They've been the big growth story this year, yeah. um, and they're knocking it. Um, they're they're crushing it this year so far. What do you attribute that to? Um, again, it was up to that point. There's only one or two guys, and now we've got a full team up there. You know, we've got three acquisition sales reps, a disposition sales rep, a transaction manager, an inside sales rep, uh, and an office manager. Whereas you know, in 2021, it was two employees. Okay, because it was uh, well, you started late of 2020. Started late 2020, we kind of, you know, I was focused a lot on the Montgomery business. It was mm-hmm. kind of, I wouldn't say it was 
I would say it's on the back burner of my yeah. mind most of the time. Um, and then once we got the structure and the people in place in Montgomery, I was able to devote more time to building Lexington and, and recreating what we had in Montgomery in Lexington uh, towards the, the end of 2021. Got it. So I know people are, are really curious how you, how you did all this. And I want to leave this part to the Q&A session because we have a lot of people watching right now. Uh, so I guess uh, let me ask you the, a different question. Most people that come on this show, when they first uh, you know, are getting into real estate, they've got a lot of adversity, uh, hurdles, getting, you know, hit, getting hit with haymakers, right? It seems like this was really easy for you. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so what were some of the early struggles you faced in, in growing your business? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a number of them. Um, I think a, a lot of people issues, you know, you, you know, you, when you first start out, you don't know how to hire. You don't, you know, you hire someone that's similar to you that you get along with um, that um, may not be right for that position. And so it's a lot of uncomfortable conversations and a, a lot of bad hires. You know, one of the our biggest lessons I had was, you know, one of the guys that was that that third person in 2020. He was a rock star acquisition sales rep, um, and he was just top performer. 2021 continued to be a top performer. Started to notice some ego issues. Some the things he was saying in the office that, that weren't good. I mean, it got worse and worse and worse. I didn't really know what to do about it because he was still performing. You, you, what do you do about that? And, you know, I learned from CG, but um, I let that progress way too long. And, you know, he was kind of like a little cancer that was infecting not just himself, but everyone. And it got to the point where you know, we'd be on a, a train, Bell's training call, and I would just see him rolling his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked to him after, and he says, well, some people have to learn how to – Sell. Some people is just natural. So they need to learn. I don't need to learn. You know. Yeah, I'm above uh, it. I, I, it. It comes natural. I'm mm -hmm. just a natural salesman. I'm like, no, no, no. And I still didn't fire him. I still because he's performing, and it, it really it hurt our culture. And that, that was a really, really tough time for us. Um, a lot of arguments in the office. Um, and arguments with include with with him in the argument or arguments about. Him. Oh, uh, arguments with him with other people, him with me, me with other people about him. It's just a lot of drama. And, a lot of antagonism. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and eventually, you know, despite him still performing, I had to let him go. And, you know, you're worried about that because he was also really good friends with some of the people on our team, some of the top performers on our team that I didn't want to lose. And let him go. And I thought it was going to be upheaval, but it was thank you the next day. And there's still some corrective action we had to take, but I just realized, man, I should have done this like three, four months ago. Why yeah. did I wait so long? Um, that was a really challenging time for us. And that was a, one of the big failures or kind of things I learned from. Um, besides that, there's been a lot of stuff here and there. Well, and I think for, for that, um, there's a lot of uh, fear, right? This guy's our top dog, right? Like how much money are we going to lose? Yeah. And it's that, and it's an, I, I believe it's an understandable fear, but you know, like was it Jim Collins talks about in From Good to Great is like the moment you let one of those people go, Everyone else is appreciative. Yeah. Right. And you yeah. got you got to experience that. I did. And it happened just like they say it does, which just surprised me because I was I was so worried and so so much fear. But yeah. So yeah. just for perspective sake, uh, what kind of volume was he bringing in? Because it's easy to say, like, yeah. oh, they're doing a deal a month. Like we got I we mean, can he, let him go, right? Yeah. He um he was let go in September of twenty twenty one. September of twenty twenty to September twenty twenty one, he had brought in over a million dollars in revenue. Yeah, but that is a million dollars in revenue is kind of hard to walk out the door. And I, I will, I will share like just me personally, 
in my, uh, in some of the toughest conversations, right? Is everyone saying we need to let this person go? Yeah. Like this person's bringing in a lot of money, right? Yeah. And then uh, eventually, when you do have, when you do let them go, everyone is there's a lot less stress and it's more fun again. Exactly. That experience it firsthand. Um, yeah. But it is difficult for sure. So uh, a lot of bad hires. So one thing that you kind of touched on, you know, just for everyone else that's listening, because everyone's in different seasons in their career here. Um, you were hiring people that weren't a good fit for the role. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? That was accurate. Weren't a good fit for the role. A lot of people that I got along with, and that was like, man, well, they, don't, they don't have the right predictive index. They don't have the right personality. Like, I can just, I could see it working. You know, I, I get along with them. Like, you know, I could hang out with this guy and it just doesn't work. <laughs> no. Well, you can't hire people that are like you. Yeah. Because if they're like you, they're probably not going to be good at the job. Exactly. It's, least, it's hard. At least, at least that's been my experience. If they're too similar to me, then they're probably not going to be good at doing what I need them to do because I don't want them to do stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Um, a lot of that happens. Um, yeah. But. Okay. So what did you do to improve that? Yeah. So I still, I mean, I, I brought a lot of good people into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, a big part of the problem was I did not have enough time to focus on it. Um, focus on hiring? On hiring specifically. And coming with a good framework and, and how to do that and actually devoting time. You know, a lot of the hi- bad hires we had was, or we've had this indeed posting out for two months. We need this person really bad. You know, everyone on zero to 10 has been like a three so far. This person's a five. Like maybe we should hire them. You know, there's never going to be a 10. Well, it's because I wasn't putting the effort in because I didn't have time to focus on it. Um, and, and now the, the, it's been one of the biggest drivers to our, uh, our growth here recently is we hired a full-time director of human capital and all he does all day is recruit and hire people. And I think our team has doubled in size in the last six months since he's joined. So um, not having focus on it was a big part of that. Director of human capital. That sounds like something Ryan would say. Yeah. I learned it from CG. A lot of them have director of human <laughs> capitals, you know, chief people officer, whatever you want to call it. I mean, someone uh, who's devoted to that full time um, has been a big, big help for us. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, hiring this person. So you didn't necessarily uh, execute the hiring part, but you brought in a person whose responsibility is to execute the hiring part. Exactly. Yeah. It's something I always hiring, you know, processing job applications and talking to people and interviewing. It always felt like a stuck on my time. Like it was draining oh, to sure. me. Um, and now I'm just there for the very final interview um, yeah. and that's it. And it's so much more, it's so much better. And he's brought in, great people every time so far mm-hmm. you know his records 100 percent so far we'll see if that holds true but um yeah and so uh I, I i took strategic coach a long time ago so that was something dan sullivan talks about right is you know hiring the right person yep. and then uh ben hardy if you guys haven't read who not how i finally read the book because i've had people push it so many times but like i already went through the training but fine i read the book <laughs> right yeah. um but it sounds like that's what you did you, exactly. you hired the right who and now his job is to find other who's yeah exactly that's dead on who not yeah. how so, all right. Um, so that was personnel was your biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. One of your biggest challenges. What other major struggles have you experienced going from, right, brand new to city you've never been before, <laughs> to yeah, getting the yeah. 500,000 uh, a month? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of, I mean, that's the only really big um, hurdle. We, we have small hurdles every day. We have deals that blow up. We have what seems like the end of the world happen, it seems, every month. But mm-hmm. We, we work through it every time. I can't think of anything specific. I mean, it's just a lot of small iterations and changes and breaking things. One of our 
one of our core values as a company is we Kaizen. So Kaizen is a Japanese term. It means continuous improvement. Um, and we really, really live that. So we are never complacent. We are mm. always trying to break things. And so we are just in a constant, constant state of change. Um, so that's been a big contributor to it so far. So just real quick for, you know, um, reference, right? Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N. Yep. All right. And that's what basically what we learned from what the Japanese did with when their auto industry yeah. uh, improved, right? When, when Japanese auto uh, engineering surpassed American engineering. Yeah. Right. So Kaizen. Yep. So you guys practice. So give me an example, right? So like, cause it does feel like the world's always constantly falling apart. <laughs> right. So like someone's upset, process is broken. Mm -hmm. What is the team's process then for, for practicing Kaizen? Yeah. We'll, we'll um, after that, we'll have a meeting. Uh, well, this is like, for example, if a deal blows up recently, we had one of these it's a big apartment complex deal that fell apart. We were wholesaling. Um, and we had an after action report meeting where all the people that were involved in that deal came together for 30 minutes. We list out all the problems that, that we ran into. We list out what the key root of each of those problems are. And then we reach uh, list out all of the um, corrective actions or changes that we're going to make. And then everyone spends the next 30 minutes going back and making those changes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th this deal blew apart for a number of reasons. Um, well, let's talk about that specific deal. Yeah. So this is a, a a, uh, a 10 unit apartment building in, in Montgomery um, that we're going to buy and then resell to a buyer we already had locked up. Um, the first thing was the seller was fairly difficult to work with. Um, during the middle of our process, our due diligence process, he left and went to Thailand. Um, and he's going to be in Thailand for two months. And closing in Thailand is difficult. You can't do There's no notaries in Thailand. You have to go to the U.S. Embassy. You have to schedule that. It's got to be two weeks out. He was already really mad about that because he wanted to close today. Um, there's a lot of problems with um, getting in with the, the current tenants. Mm -hmm. uh, his property management was in shambles, and we, all that got put onto us. Um, there's also confusion. Um, everything was separately metered, so we just assumed that the tenants pay their own utilities. Well, we're, so this is probably we actually closed on. We buy it the next day. Our phones are blowing up because everyone's water has been turned off. The owner never let us know. He told us verbally. We had notes and on the you know, on the call that they pay their own utilities, but no, we didn't have it in writing. So what, what was the corrective action? We now have in writing on our contract, like if a tenant occupied property, who pays utilities and it has water, gas, you know, electric, and they have to fill that out mm -hmm. because that happened. And it was a nightmare and tenants blowing us up, no water, no power. Um, a lot of stuff like that happens yeah. all the time. All right. So guys out of the country, right? So what was the root problem? there he was a difficult seller and he wanted to close like right now mm -hmm. and he this was confused as far as he thought he could um he thought like a, a thailand notary would work or, or something like that right but in order for to do a closing with someone who's in, in an international country at least in thailand um you have to go to the u.s embassy mm -hmm. you have to schedule it through their website and they don't have many spots for that so the earliest that they had I think we were supposed to close on May 2nd. The other stuff we had, I think, was May 23rd. But I guess my question is, what is the fix now, right? So we identified the problem. So next time you got... Next time we have an international seller, we, our transaction manager just knows. It's not like something we really have on a contract or anything, but mm -hmm. she knows that to expect that hurdle, we have it. Because we actually had a few other ones happen like that. Right. Um, and she knows to expect that going forward yeah. uh, for that issue, at least. Okay. I was just curious because it is an interesting yeah. scenario, right? Because you said, like, there's no notaries. Like, no, of course there are. You just go to the embassy. 
But now we know also that the embassy is two weeks out. Yeah, or at least yeah, you just got to check. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so we're talking about 100, uh, or we're talking about the volume. So you also own 150 rentals. Yeah, yeah. So um, most of those are in Lexington. Um, that's where it got started. And it's mainly single family and small multifamily properties. I think the largest I have is like a sixplex. Um, and almost all of those have been acquired um, using the Burr strategy. Uh, so yeah. even when I moved down to Montgomery, I was continuing to buy properties up in Lexington, um, off market, and burning them and keeping them myself. Yeah. So you, the Burr strategy is working really well for you. Yeah. Okay. It's one of the things I'm envious of, right? <laughs> of everyone that comes in from the Midwest. Yeah. They get to do the Burr thing. It's not quite the same in Phoenix. Yeah. Well, Lexington prices are getting pretty crazy. I, at this point, like I'm just looking to make like fifty hundred dollars a month cash flow on these deals. If that really, yeah. if they can just break even, they're kind of little forced savings accounts for me. All right. Um, but it's yeah, it's not like it used to be. So, but this is how you're able to bankroll your 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 all the, your rental portfolio, or how you were able to build your rental portfolio. Yeah, it's how I was able to build it. You know, doing the birth strategy allows a small amount of a small amount of capital to have a lot of velocity. Mm -hmm. We cycle over over and over and over, over again, and you know, after a few of those really starting to rely on private lenders. So really all of these deals, I have no money invested in at all. Um, we have relationships with a few uh, local private lenders there in Lexington and they'll fund hundred percent of the purchase and rehab. Um, we'll, we'll get the deal rehabbed, contact a local bank to get it refinanced, pay them off. I've got a property that's cash flowing a little bit, but the, the real beauty is I have no money invested in it too. So every month that debt pay down as well as the tax benefits um, really help out a lot. So as far as um, what did I want to ask? Um, shoot, I had a follow-up question for that. Oh, how what percentage of the properties do you have a strategy like? Because you're sourcing deals, obviously. Mm -hmm. Do you have a specific strategy for like for every three I wholesale? I'm keeping one. Is there like if if we get a property and it hits these boxes, then for sure we're keeping it. What strategy do you have on determining what how what properties you're building around? your rental portfolio. Yeah, that, that's, it's changed a lot over time. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to be, I just want to buy anything that I can remotely afford and just buy, 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 buy. Um, bought a lot of stuff that was probably C, C minus class stuff and realized that, you know, the numbers look really good on paper when you get those C minus class tenants in there and the damage they do and the, the rent that they don't pay, um, you realize that what's on paper doesn't really add up to what's reality. There's not a box for like <laughs> how much you have to spend remodeling because the tenants are difficult. There's, there's not. Th there's not that field. <laughs> there's not at all, but you see it on the tax return. You see it on the bank account every month. Um, yeah. And so you know, recently, actually, kind of shifted focus. Used to be just buying everything that I could um, that, that made sense that could potentially cash flow. And then mm -hmm. anything that was more of a flip property, we'd wholesale. Um, now, I actually recently, after that last CG meeting with, with Alistair, um, I and him kind of talking about where, where the economy is most likely headed, I actually recently just sold off um, 33 units that were all the lower class stuff that has doubled in value in the last three years, despite still not really cash flowing. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm purely focused on buying stuff in the city limits of Lexington, none of the suburbs like I was before, or, um, and B class or better properties. Yeah. Um, and so I've slowed down the the amount of deals I've bought a lot, um, as well as now that we've built the wholesale business up there where they really have a structure. I'm not allowed to steal deals from, from the company, right? I've got to run every single deal that comes across my plate through the company. And, um, I follow the same policies as all the other employees in the company. As far as being able to buy deals from the company, we have, we have a policy 
that um, we encourage our, our, our employees to buy rental properties. We want them to do that. A number of our employees have. Um, they get first access to any deal that comes through our system. And there's a discount policy where the first rental property they buy in a given year, they get a 25% discount uh, to the assignment fee of what we were going to put, put it out at and market it at. Um, and then for every consecutive offer that, that discount declines by 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, and even after they bought five, if they want to keep buying them, they still get first access. They just have to pay full price. And that Got resets it. every year. So I follow that same strategy in Lexington, which is also part of the reason that I've slowed down a little bit because mm-hmm. I've got to tack on that assignment fee for myself as well. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of strategy now. Yeah. Um, and then this, uh, someone in here was asking what CG was. So yeah, CG is just collective genius. So we're both in the same mastermind, which we're going to be hanging out again actually next week. That's right. Uh, and we even play basketball. Yeah, I was gonna look at, I need, I'm going to come down and play a little bit more this time. It's yeah. a lot of fun. So I don't know how it's going to go. I hurt my knee a couple of weeks ago. So oh, we're, no. we're going to see how that goes. Um, another thing too is, you know, this is totally selfish here on my part, but, um, you know, got a chance to talk to Eric last time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he shared with me like the coolest story. He's like, hey, Steve, I just want to let you know I was able to buy the car I had my eyes on. So, yeah. you know, you know the story. Yeah. Well, Eric, Eric Martin's our COO. Um, He's been dreaming of buying a Tesla ever since I met him back in college. It's his dream car. It's always been his dream car. So you car. go back to college with him. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, I've been with, been with Eric for a long time. Um he actually interned at the the company I used to work at. So okay. and then worked there as well. But he's always wanted a Tesla. And um I remember the very first CG meeting. Um we met Steve at, at the bar before the, the first day that night. And um Eric was in awe because you owned a Tesla. And uh, I remember him making a comment. You were like, oh, it's, it's, you know, oh, just buy one. Just buy one. And Eric was like, he told me just to buy one. I was like, I don't know if I have the money to do that right now. Um, and, but now, you know, we've had a lot of success. A lot of that's because we're, we're listening every single week to the, the Steve training, uh, sales training. We've got our acquisition sales reps on it. We've got our lead managers on the new training. Um, and also just learning from the Disruptors podcast. That's been huge yeah. so far. And here, here recently, he was actually able to, uh, I think two months ago, or a month and a half ago, uh, bought his dream car. as a freaked out. Um, uh, Model Three performance, and uh, it's pretty scary to be in because that thing flies. And now he's got the full self-driving, and he trusts Elon a lot more than I do. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it was a dream fulfilled for sure. Yeah, and it, it's the exact same car I have, right? So it's, yeah. it's it's that car is incredibly fun. You know, I'm actually looking right now for another car because of supply chain issues. You know, like my lease ends at the end of the year. Okay. So I was like, I better start looking now. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I've been looking, and the thing that's crazy is there's not a car I want to buy. Like, is that the that, Tesla? That, is, <laughs> that Model Three is the best car you can buy. Like, I can't find anything better. It was pretty phenomenal. Uh, so let's see here, guys. You know, let's definitely uh, jump in some questions here. And uh, before we jump into that, guys, we do have our uh, all-day sales training coming up in a couple of months. If you guys are interested in checking out, checking that out. Uh, go to disruptors.com slash sales disruptors. It's a day and a half. We go over everything we just talked about here, right? So we go over our process that 60 uh, of the top members, right? Investors in the country are entrusting us to teach them. We go over that and you'll have all the confidence, the mindset, the tools you're going to need to be able to buy houses uh, at a higher margin more consistently, and they'll show up in the closing day. Because that's one of the biggest problems is they'll sign contracts and they don't, don't show up. We've had that issue a lot. <laughs> We've <laughs> yeah. had to get some lawyers involved. <laughs> yeah, so we go over how we do that. So um, let's go ahead and jump into this. So the first question 
And it's going to be a longer question. Okay. Right? Is how are you doing 500,000 a month? So I said that I wanted to leave this up to these to these guys. So what is, like what are the major two or three things that you're doing that's effective to help you get to 500,000 a month? Cuz that's I mean most people don't make that um in a matter of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's top line too. You know, we're not netting $500,000 a month. Um <laughs> Uh, the key really for us, you know, Montgomery um, this year is not necessarily growing much more than it did last year. We have a little bit of growth, but um, Lexington's taken off a lot. We're implementing the same structure and systems and processes that we had in Montgomery and Lexington, and they're kind of competing every month. So, you know, this last month was kind of a, a rough month for Montgomery. I think they did like 155,000. Kentucky went off and did 350. And the mm-hmm. month before, it was 275 in, in Montgomery and like 175 in um uh, Kentucky. So they kind of trade places and it's been nice so far. There's not been one where they're both down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either one's down, one's up. Um, but really having that second market ha- has been a, a big, um, big reason we've been able to, to achieve the 500,000. Um, I think another big thing is, you know, we follow the um, EOS and, and traction and, you know, the beginning of this year, uh, we had a big annual meeting and we laid out what our goals were going to be. And our goals for this year, $6 million in revenue and 400 deals. And we laid out exactly how that needed to, what we needed to do to make that happen. And one of the key things was to get the Lexington office up to the same scale and structure as Montgomery. So that was, that was what our, our core quarterly rocks for Q1 were tied to. And we made that happen. And now we're seeing those results, Q2 and Q3, with the Kentucky office really starting to, to perform. Um, so really just having proper planning. You know, that's another thing where we realized at the beginning of the year, if we want to achieve the 400 deals a year and $6 million in revenue, we're going to be at 35 employees by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. We had 12 full-time employees January 1st. I was like, I'm not hiring that many people. I'm horrible at hiring. I hate doing it. So we realized we need to hire someone who full-time hires and recruits people. And so just planning that out, um, knowing where you want to be at the end of the year and planning that out on a quarterly basis has been the key to us being able to achieve the 500000 a month. Okay, so I'm hearing the sitting back planning and then executing that plan yep exactly all right so that's one thing the other thing we talked about earlier was you know advertising on tv and uh, direct mail is a big piece of your success yeah so, so you're on tv in lexington and montgomery both markets yes yeah. so both markets we are pretty much do all the marketing you can do um we have a we have two full-time texters we have 10 full-time cold callers um, we're doing tv with darren in both markets we're sending a lot of direct mail in both markets you know our overarching marketing budget's about Ninety-five dollars to $100,000 a month um, total between the two markets. So that's a big reason why we're getting to five hundred. You know, if you're not spending the marketing dollars, it's hard to get to those, those high revenue numbers. Sure. That makes total sense. Uh, is there anything else? Because that's two things, right? So marketing and, and then the, the planning and executing. What's the third thing that you would say was instrumental to getting to 500000 a month? I think the last big thing is just um, being a lot better about training and onboarding. Um, before it was kind of someone would come on and it would be like, all right, um, your acquisitions. So this is other acquisitions guys. You're just going to shadow him all day, every day. And hopefully you'll pick it up. You know, eventually <laughs> uh, we'll just start throwing your own appointments here in a few yeah. weeks. Um, but now we've got a whole build out system where we're, we're from day one, getting them plugged into our, uh, we use Trainual, the mm-hmm. software platform to get people onboarded and trained. And we've got, you know, their first 30 days mapped out of hey. You're, you're listening to Steve Trang's, all of his modules. Um, you're, you're taking the uh, Chris Voss masterclass. Um, you're going through our internal training on running comps, 
running ARV, and we even have an exam that they take at the end of those 30 days. And they're not allowed to go on appointments on their own until they pass that exam. This is just for the acquisitions. So yeah. building out training a lot better so that those, those acquisition reps can um, come online and, and start yeah. performing a lot quicker. Yeah, onboarding is so key. I still remember, and it's embarrassing because there are times that we don't onboard very well, right? It still happens from time to time, not as bad as it used to be. But I still remember my very first day at Intel. Oh, yeah. right? like, I, like, they're paying me like a real salary, yeah, right? Yeah. And I show up, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know where your boss is at. Right, just sit in the queue. Really? <laughs> we'll figure this out later on. Have that figured out better? No. Oh my goodness. Right? Okay. Well, it's not just us. The big no, companies too. No, the big companies have have similar challenges as well. So it's it's so key, right? Because yeah. it's also the first impression of your company for anyone that joins your organization. Oh, it's huge, and we we do a lot with that now. After we, you know, again going back to CG, but you know, hearing Rin's presentation a few few quarters ago, we're talking about what they do. So. Do the same thing. We send you a, if you're joining our company, you get a, a survey before you start. We find out all of your favorite snacks and drinks and everything. When you start day one, you have swag everywhere, your favorite snacks, your favorite drink. We're taking you out to your favorite restaurant. The whole company is for lunch on that very first day. Mm -hmm. to know everyone. We want that impression to be amazing. And we want to make sure that you're immediately embedded into the team right. and the training right away. Indoctrination begins from day one. Exactly. Uh, so on Instagram, Realty Ilya, how do you find your deals? I think we already answered that one. Um, how do you think, this is Remington on YouTube, how do you think wholesale will be affected if the economy goes the way you mentioned it may go? Um, it's definitely something I think we're all thinking about a lot right now. Oh, um, it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I hope. But, um, you know, we're you know, seeing inventory levels starting to creep up. You know, um, interest rates are continuing to rise. You know, I think just today the, the Fed increased the, uh, the federal funds rate by uh, 75 basis points. Point seven five. Yeah, the largest since 1994 of that large of a raise at a given, given time. It's a massive jump. It is, and it's scary. I personally, I try not to think that I know too much in this space because I've only been in real estate in the good times since 2018. I really don't know. I try to talk to those that have been through the cycles, that have seen it. Um, and the one thing for us is obviously real estate's very local, so we're monitoring our local MLS data um, every single month, making sure prices are continuing to appreciate or stay level, making sure the inventory levels are, are staying uh, staying low. Both of our markets were still below two months of inventory, so we're feeling strong right now. Um, but the one thing for wholesale, at least my theory, I've not put it to the test yet, but we'll see here here shortly, maybe. Um, you know, we're not flippers; we don't have a lot of inventory. But I like to think that we're going to move with the market, mm -hmm. so. If people were paying 100 and we were getting it for 80, well, now they're only willing to pay 90, well, we'll get it for 70. And so here recently, actually, we had we locked up a lot of deals in Montgomery, and we very rarely back out of deals. But we had a lot of deals that recently that were, that were a little bit more difficult to move. Um, we were pushing our, our prices a bit. But um, because of that, we, we went ahead and, you know, now our whole team, we changed the formula for what they're offering at. So they were, you know, it was, we think we can move stuff for 80% of ARV minus repairs. Now it's 75% of monitor repairs. So we're already making that adjustment. Hopefully that our margins don't um, shrink. So yeah. we're trying to take that action to make sure that doesn't happen. But we're monitoring it every month. You know, I think for me personally, I think we've just been in a very hyper-aggressive market in the last few years. And so now that things aren't selling for over-asking in the first 24 hours and you're not getting 20 offers, people are freaking out. But you've got to remember that it hasn't always been that way. And it hasn't, like... You know, 2016, 2017, 2018, it wasn't like that. Right. The market was still fine. You know, you're still getting your asking price. It just took 30 days instead of 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it just normalizes, I think, is the term going around that 
we're all hoping. Yeah, we might all have to work a little bit harder. Yeah. But we're going to be fine as long as we're running a good business. Um, so I think it will be an interesting uh, we, meeting next week, though. I think it will, too. I think it's um, very timely. It is. And uh, one thing I like to do, if you guys aren't watching our my other channel, um, you know, if you just go, like, just the Steve Train YouTube channel, what I like to do also is interview people at CG, right? Oh, yeah. Ask some questions. So if you guys have not been watching that channel, you guys are definitely going to want to check that out because that's going to be the key question. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of knowledgeable guys that have been through some cycles there. I would definitely pay attention yeah. to that. So I get to play reporter in the scene over there too. Um, all right, the other question on Instagram, this is Zoram. Now the market shifted, we're on the way down. Where are you doing the pivot? So I think that's probably more of a question for you than it's a question for me. So what are you doing to pivot? I think to pivot, like we said, we're, we're declining, you know, decreasing the uh, what we're offering on the front end, changing those formulas um, so that when we do go to sell those properties, our margins aren't being compressed. So... Like I said, we're trying to move with the market. Yeah. I have an art, but um, that's. But what you're right, though. Like being a wholesale, we get to do that. Yeah, right? we don't have any inventory looming on the yeah. balance sheet. Yeah, the biggest challenge we're going to have is um, the time it takes for the sellers to realize. Yeah. That the market has shifted, and we're the good news yeah. is we're hearing for the most part sellers are aware. The new the bad news has started. Like they're they're not protecting this present as much as they <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. might have been earlier. Yeah. Um, so I got, I'm looking right now on YouTube. I see 104 people watching, but only 25 thumbs up. So guys, if you guys are watching, that's the cost, right? Just hit the thumbs up. Uh, okay. So Isaiah on YouTube, what does your wholesale operation look like today? Yeah. So we've got, I think we're at 20 employees, um, full time in the office. We also have some virtual assistants and cold callers, but, um, I can go by office by office. Montgomery, we've got four acquisition sales reps. Um, three inside sales reps. One of those is kind of going to help. They're going to help with the Columbus office as well once it's open. But four acquisition sales reps, three inside sales reps. Um, we've got a disposition sales rep, um, transaction manager, office manager, and then uh, a director of human capital, COO Eric, myself, and up in Kentucky, we've got um, three acquisition sales reps, a disposition sales rep, transaction manager, yeah, transaction manager, and an office manager. Um, got it. Yeah. So yeah, our challenge necessarily isn't necessarily when things uh, change the flipping side, but we still have a fair amount of overhead. Yeah, we do. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what is your overhead uh, running those two offices? Yeah, I mean, this is just fixed costs, not even including any commissions or bonuses mm -hmm. for a lot of the reps. Um, we're right around between one ninety and two hundred thousand a month overhead. Yeah. So there's that. If things if the temperature changes, those are the kind of things that get kind of scary. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because sometimes my wife will be like, you know, I, you know, I know you talk about the comedy's like not doing great. Like, do I need to stop spending at you know whatever Lululemon or something? And I'm like, it just doesn't matter. If you have two hundred thousand dollars a month <laughs> overhead, like it's it's so scary because when we were smaller, like it was like managing my personal finances did matter a lot. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, you know, maybe I'm spending eight ten thousand dollars a month personally. I've got a two hundred thousand dollar a month, you know, overhead at the at the business, and that's the only thing that matters. Uh, um, yeah, so it's very scary, but it's also I think necessary if you want to grow. So I mean, I have similar conversations with my wife. Right? She's like, "Are you sure we can spend eight hundred dollars on this?" Is like, I don't think she understands how much I spend <laughs> yeah. every single month on my business. Yeah, it's not going to make a blip <laughs> on the radar. Like it's yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, so that follow up question, this is from someone else. Who was it? Uh, but they're asking it. So then on that 500,000, like what is your profitability on a 500,000? Because we already heard like, you know, your overhead's 190. That's before cost of sale. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what is like, what do you get to keep out of that? It varies a lot month to month. Um, we are growing a lot. So we're spending a lot right now. Um, your target for the year is, is right at, um, 35%. Um, we're tracking pretty well close to that. Um, yeah, and that's pretty good, right? Because usually it's twenty five to thirty range, right? Like an excellent operation is like forty five. Yeah, but like twenty five to thirty is like normal, and that's actually not as normal. That's a good company, mm-hmm. right? So if you're thirty five, that's that's phenomenal. Um, uh, Deal Garcia on YouTube is asking, you know, when you're starting out and you're getting out to local REI events, how can he present himself to be a value to other people that he wants who are successful already? Okay. Um, it depends on who you're approaching. I think you need to, you know, just talk with them, figure out what their problems are and see if you can provide a solution, you know, whether that be, um, maybe you're really good. Like a lot of the people here at Steve Train's office are with media and you can help them, you know, build, um, a social media side of their business, right? There's a lot of pretty big organizations, um, you know, flipping and wholesale companies. They don't have much PR going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we make a lot of efforts in that, but you can help with that. There's a lot of things you got to figure out what someone's problem is. And figure out how your skill set can fit in to fix their problem. Um, yeah, and 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 I think that's ex- exactly it. Because I get people asking me, right? Like there are people out here that said, like, you know, make sure you're value adding value, adding value, right? Great advice, but I think it's not doesn't go far enough, mm-hmm. right? I think you got to go find out what it is that they're struggling with. Hey, like what? Like t- let's talk about your business, get to know you, but then also like finding out like where are some holes. Yeah. Then you can say like, well, you know. If I can I help you with that? Yeah. Uh, who was I talking to very, very recently? Um, well, let's just go back to your example, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I will go mow lawns for you or whatever if I could just shadow you. Yeah, there's a lot of people that'll take you up on that. You post in a local group if you want to learn how to flip houses. You know, I had a lot of people reach out. You tell someone that you're going to, you'll paint and cut grass for free, they'll take you on and let you shadow for, for quite a while. Yeah. Um, okay, so how. Do you know how much to pay yourself from the proceeds? This is Isaiah on YouTube. So that's changed over time. You know, back um, back in the early days, we, we ran on bank account accounting. So if the money was there, <laughs> it's going into my personal account. If it's not, maybe I'm putting money from my personal account in. Um, yeah. Now we have a lot more structure to it. Um, so we, you know, all the management, including myself, are on, on salary. And we only distribute, um, do distributions um, quarterly. But right now we're we're actually trying to keep everything in the business because we are growing so much. We want to make sure we have a lot of reserves um, as our overhead has grown a lot. And as the market is starting to shift, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so trying to just live off that management salary and um, take quarterly distributions if, if needed. Got it. And then Stephen Collar uh, on YouTube, super sharp guy. He's asking, will assignment fees drop with the market slowing down or there just be fewer buyers? I can't say I know for sure. I've not been through a cycle. Um, I'd like to think that it probably will compress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, the one good side of the business right now, we have, we have had such a, a long run of appreciation that most homeowners have a good amount of equity. Um, Montgomery is a little bit of a unique market because up until here recently, we were locking up at just seller's payoffs. It did not experience the appreciation run that a lot of other markets across the United States have. 
that's my only concern is, is if the market dips enough to where we're touching those mortgage payoffs at a large scale, then it's going to be really difficult for us to, to make a profit. And maybe we're gonna have to go back to, to doing short sales and yeah. closure auctions, but or creative. Yeah. Or creative. That's true. They, they, maybe a lot more. It's a good pivot because they're going to have those 30 year 4% rates, which are going to be amazing or, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. On YouTube, Brian Luciano, uh, do you, do you have any type of IT or custom software to streamline administrative tasks and automate reporting? Yeah, so we actually um, recently um, switched to uh, from from Podio for our CR, our main CRM, to uh, Salesforce, and you know after the first two or three weeks of of beating my head against the wall just fixing problems, uh, we're starting to build a lot of really cool integrations, automations, um, and reports, and dashboards. Um, but that's where the vast majority of our, our company runs through. Every single task anyone has to do every single day is in Salesforce. All of their KPIs are in their own personal dashboards that they can review in real time. They can see how they're doing this week, last week, this month, last month, um, as far as where they're tracking towards their standard, which is what's expected of them, and their goals, which they have rewards tied to. Um, so Salesforce is the answer to that. That's what we, we streamline everything through. Makes total sense. And then another question from Matthew on YouTube. Looking for motivation, I can make 5,000 calls over the next two months on my work schedule. Do you think I have a good chance of getting a deal? Depends on who you're calling. That's what um, I was going to say. Where you're calling. If you're in Montgomery, you probably got a good chance. You're in Phoenix, not as high. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of variables there. I think you make 5,000. Depends on. If you're making $5,000 on like a 20-line dialer, probably not. If you're making 5,000 dials manually, then you'll get a deal. Yeah, it was, uh, I got a friend, uh, Eric Sage, right? He's, he's done really well. He's been on the show before and we were talking and he said like, yeah, you know, it's really nice uh, moving my business to Alabama. I was like, what's going on? And he says, well, if you call a wrong number in Alabama, they say, well, this is not here, but I hope you find them. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. don't get that in Phoenix. <laughs> so, yeah, the Southern hospitality is definitely there. It's, uh, it's nice. Yeah. A lot nicer people there. Uh, so Michael Lopez on YouTube, what makes you different in your market versus your competitors? Um, I think a lot of it is going from just being what I would consider just a group of individuals wheeling and dealing, you know, just being little individual cowboys to actually having a structured business. Um, there are not a lot of wholesale companies that really treat their business like a true business um, instead of just individuals doing deals. I think having this, this, the, I think to be honest, the number one thing that's gotten us where we're, we're at is being part of a mastermind group. When you're in a market like Montgomery, we were already the you know the largest wholesale player when we were at 65 deals a year. It wasn't a lot of people for us to learn to there locally. So we had to go out and find people that were doing four, five, 10x what we're doing so we can learn from them. Um, I think that's the key is you know, when you're just bouncing off ideas off each other that are at the same level or the level below you, you're never gonna grow. But when you get in a room full of people doing 10x what you're doing, that's when you're gonna learn what you need to do to get to that level. Absolutely. Uh, and then Steam Caller suggestion to reach out to old buyers, give them the short clips of news and insight, make them look to you for, for ideas of market. So yeah, if you give them some information for them to reach out to you, have you be the expert, um, definitely something that would be helpful. Um, you guys, if, any, if, if you have any more questions, keep posting them. Happy to answer them for you. So um, other questions I'd like to ask is, um, what is your motivation? What is your why? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I struggle with that question. I, 
I really do love this business. I love building a business. I, I don't know what else that I would do. What else I would do with my life? Um, I think also just innately within me from a very young age, I've been extremely competitive. Um, and I think that drives a lot of what I'm doing here in business. Um, I think a lot of people, guess a lot of my friends, they don't want to play board games with me because I'm not the nicest person to play with. I take it way too seriously. Um, There's a monopoly board in, in, in their classroom. Yeah, oh, you wouldn't want to play me. It'll not be fun. We won't be friends after um, unless I win, which probably still won't be friends. But um, <laughs> that drives me a lot. And you know, so going to like CG and stuff, I'm there, I'm learning and I'm inspired, but I'm also like, oh, okay, you've grown that much. Okay, I've got some work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it fuels me a lot, that, that, that sense of competition. Any concern about having that much, that, that, that much competitive fire? Maybe, yeah, I definitely probably say maybe I, I overwork. I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know it any other way, um, yeah. I guess. Um, definitely has its downsides. Yeah. Because you kind of see, like, um, you know, you watch The Last Dance, right, with Jordan. And, like, there was a scene where, like, they had to cut the recording because he was crying. Yeah. Right? Because, like, he was really rough on his team. Mm-hmm. But because he really wanted to win. Yeah. So I was just curious if you've seen any downside from from having that competitive streak. I've got that challenge, yeah. too, right? So yeah, just curious. Challenge. I don't think I'm that cutthroat, but yeah, um, it came it came comes with challenges. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Um, It kind of goes back to just not knowing where the market's going to go. That's definitely our biggest concern um making sure that we're i think for us making sure that we're monitoring local data but also staying in touch with our top buyers i mean 20 percent of our buyers by 80 percent of our deals making sure we stay in touch with them that we're communicating the data that we're seeing in the local market to them so despite them seeing headlines in the media that the real estate market's falling apart hey markets inventory levels are still at their lowest they've ever ever been you know we're mm-hmm. still a very very hot market keeping them informed and making sure they continue to buy because if Four or five of them pull out, it becomes very, very difficult uh, to wholesale. And so that's our, our biggest concern and probably struggle. I think um, the other thing right now is and it's not a struggle yet, but I see it coming. We're doing kind of our first new market. You know, obviously we have the Lexington office, but I'm always in real estate there. Opening the doors in Columbus, Georgia, July 1st. We've already got employees that are training right now that are about to go to that office. Um, so I'm worried about that. And I think that's what I'm going to ask about at CG, trying to learn from some people that have done that, like a cold open to a new market. You know, what are the steps? What's the most important um, if they could do it over? So it seems like that. Ren's got that figured out. Yeah. I'd say, I don't know if I don't know, I, I, I'm going to talk to him. Yeah. If you guys don't know who I'm talking about is Ren Bartlett. The guy is just a secret assassin. Yeah, he is. And even, and even more fun in person. They're our biggest competitor there in Montgomery for sure. Are they? Yeah. That yeah. makes total sense. Um, so planning to move any other locations, where to answer that marketing budget, we already talked about that earlier. Uh, what is your favorite list for direct mail? Um, we have both investor machine and 80, 20. Um, I like both of them a lot. We get really good, uh, returns. I used to do it all myself. I used to, used to hire, um, I used to hire virtual assistants to, to, uh, build programs to scrape the whole tax assessor and then try to do it all myself. And that used to work great. Um, back before it got competitive and when we, when then we started doing investor machine, I started noticing that my response rate and ROI on my campaigns was drastically lower than what they were able to produce. And so we shut that off and we do everything from investor machine and 80, 20, and they're pretty neck and neck and, and both, yeah. um, really good list. Yeah. Well, Jason Lewis is a really smart guy. He's very, very, very He did 1.7 million last year in profit. So he's, he's yeah. he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and then we got Jesus Toledo, another mm-hmm. really super sharp guy. We just started super to sign up. We just signed up for 8020 as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, Kendall uh, on uh, YouTube wants to know, 
they're getting a lot of leads, but their conversions are way down. No offers. I'm sorry, 240 offers last week, but no contracts. What are you doing to improve the conversions on your team? Yeah, that's that's not good. 240 offers, zero contracts. Um, we shoot for a 20%, uh, 25% conversion on appointments to contract. I would say when he says offers, are those written offers? Um, are those just verbal offers? Is that all virtual or is that in person? If you had 240 in-person appointments with written offers and you didn't get any contracts, you need to sign up for Steve Chang's sales training because that's real bad. I think um, I really don't know. I have to learn a little bit more about their situation, but I would say you, you want to shoot to convert at least 20 to 25% of your written offers into contracts. And if you're not achieving that, you need to work on your, your sales script and your sales training. Yeah. Uh, and then Ms. Navarro, how do you find out what a successful investor needs when you're meeting them? Do you just ask? So if you're going out meeting other people, how do you know what they need? I would say, you know, you don't just come right out, try to build some rapport, get to know them. It may not happen that first meeting, but mm-hmm. um, it, they're going to vent to you if you really get to know them and ask them about their business, how it works, what they're doing. Just be, um, be curious, be positive and curious. And I promise you, if you ask them questions, they're going to be excited to talk about their own business. Yeah. Um, and they're going to tell you what the problems are. So I think just, just be a positively curious person and, and you'll have no problem learning what their problems are. Yeah. I would say that, you know, most super successful people, they're going to be slower to respond to social media. That's just reality, right? Like they're pretty focused when they're working. Yeah. But if you actually meet them at an event, approach them like they're not monsters, right? Like yeah. no, none of them are rude. Right. No, yeah, like I, I, I'm so nervous to, you know, you got like Stuart Denier and DG <laughs> runs New Western, and so nervous. But he talks to me; he's like the nicest he's, guy. He's the nicest he's guy. So nice. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, it, I, I would say just go out, go up and talk to them. Everyone's pretty approachable. Like, oh yeah. Um, there's this idea that you know people are closed-minded or not closed-minded, but like closed off, whatever. And you and you'll find like the most successful people are the most open people. Oh, 100% agree. I see it all the time at CG. Um, for sure. Uh, so Eric's asking, what's up, Eric? <laughs> uh, you know, who would win in a race, Lucid Air or a Tesla Model 3 performance? So off the line, Lucid Air is going to kill us, right? That's just the reality. But in a course, I will take the Model 3 performance all day over, over a Lucid Air. Uh, that thing's too big. Like for yeah. me, like this is going to sound stupid, right? Totally off track. But you know how I'm measuring like which cars I want to buy? Like I actually have a list, right? Like here are all the cars. Yeah, what's on it? I'm looking at length of the car, width of the car, wheelbase, and skid pad, and zero to 60. Right? Uh, not the, the things I think about. <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking yeah, at, no, like, that's, yeah, that's important. the kind of cars I like to drive are the cars that are zippy, right? And they yeah. can, can, you know, if I need to navigate through traffic, don't need to anymore. Yeah. But if I needed to, I want to know, like, which car can, can do what I need to do. So, uh, Eric, to answer your question, on a, on a track, I would take a Model 3, but off the line, lose it, air would kill. <laughs> the Model 3. Um, but the Tesla Model S Plaid will still win. Um, what is your superpower? Um, I think I have a really good ability to, in any kind of conversation or meeting with our team, uh, any kind of conversation with the individual on our team, to kind of clear the fog and get them focused on the one thing that they actually need to focus on. Whether that being like a, a group meeting, we're all trying to just talk about stuff and getting off track. I'm really good at getting things back on the rails and getting focused on what actually matters. 
um, I would say that's my superpower. That's awesome. It's an incredible superpower as a business owner. <laughs> it's, it's helpful. <laughs> uh, and what is the greatest lesson that you have learned? Um, I touched on the, the culture issue and, and you know, cutting out uh, an employee if they have a yeah, – that, that's my greatest lesson. I'll give you two, though. So one is if you have somebody that's a performer but doesn't uphold your core values or doesn't have character, cut them out. You'll thank me later. Um, it's a very expensive lesson if you, if you don't do it early. Uh, two is never getting emotionally attached to a deal. You know, I've, I've lost money on deals before, and every single time it's because my ego gets in the way of the math, and I want to own that commercial property because I drove past it as a kid, or, oh, that 10plex that needs $300,000 to bring it back to life. Like, that sounds so cool. It'd be so cool to show the before and after. But the numbers don't make sense, but buying it anyways and, and losing money on it, you know, making sure when you're buying properties yourself, to remove the emotion from it and purely focus on the numbers, just math. Yeah. You know what I liked, um, what I like a lot here, because we, we use more clickbaity titles, right? Because we yeah. want the more views, right? Clickbait, sure. least eyeballs. Oh, makes sense. Um, so, you know, you're talking about doing 500K a month and we have Phil Green here, right? And he's Four doing million millions, right? Yeah, yeah, a yeah. month. And you know what the same answers to the same questions, right? Like, how did you do it? Right, people? Right? Like, that, number one. Yeah, that's it's getting the people one. component right. Yep. And then the second thing is being in a mastermind with the right people. Yep. Right. So like it's kind of like was it uh, maybe possibly redundant, but reality is the people is the hardest part because marketing we can figure it out eventually. Yeah, you can figure right? it out. Sales, I teach that. I love that. Love teaching that. the The next stage is the people part. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part to nail. Very very difficult. And we're a bunch of uh, crazy people, you and me included. <laughs> um. Is there any failure that's your favorite, best, or most interesting that we can talk about? Um, I, I can talk about one of those deals I, I lost money on where I got my emotions involved instead of the math. You know, and it's, it's, I like talking about it because it's on the forefront of my mind because it's, it's not closed yet, but I'm set to lose a lot of money on it. Um, the property is a 10-plex in, in a suburb of Lexington that uh, it's in a good location, built in like 1900, super old. need to stay away from that stuff. Um, it needed a ton of work. The current owner had taken horrible care of it. He had all the tenants were paying weekly. Imagine the kind of tenants we had in there. Immediately we bought it and uh, we kicked all the tenants out. But even before we bought it, um, the, the first lesson was the contractor I used on it. I got multiple quotes and his quote was like 50% of all the other guys' quotes. He'd done one, like one job for me before um, on a small job. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's, we're going to make so much money on this. You know, his quote's so low. Um, and sure enough, we kick all the tenants out. He gets started on the work and um, takes a large chunk up front, as everyone knows not to do, and disappears. So really? I'm out, you know, about $50,000 to him, and he's nowhere to be found. Um, that was the first first thing that's bad. Um, and then from there, realizing that his quote of $210,000 um, was so low because never intended to do it, didn't know what he was doing, and the real uh, – you know, construction budget on it is more like 350, 375. Ooh. So that goes from a profitable deal to not a profitable deal really quick. Um, on top of, you know, the, the people, the other contractors that I was going to have do it are super backed up to where they can't even get started for five or six months because they got work lined up. And um, we're, we're now we're just selling it as is. Uh, we've done a tiny bit of work to it. We tore off this rickety old deck and walkway that was going to cause it to be condemned and put a new walkway up and then we're just going to sell it and the deal we currently have goes through i'll lose about forty five thousand dollars on it which 
is very painful. Um, very painful too, because it's not just like I bought it cash and as money I'm not getting back. It's we use a local bank and they for they fronted all the construction money to us. So I want to be writing a big check back to them at closing, yeah. and that's super painful. Um, yeah, that's a big failure for sure. Good lesson though. Oh yeah. Uh, Chester's asking me what my superpower is. I would say my superpower is learning and being able to regurgitate what I've learned. Yeah. Right. Taking the things that I'm learning along the way, applying it, and then teaching the lessons from that. Um, Camden on YouTube wants to know what is the hardest thing that you have ever done? Doesn't have to be business related. Um, you know, I think one of the most difficult things was actually, I was really dead set. I want to become an investment banker, but you know, I had really, really amazing grades, but all the investment banks don't care. They, you know, half of them, you'll cold email the email back and say, Sorry, we don't crew from SEC schools. That would literally just be the response. That was, that was a real response. That was a real response. Multiple sins that we don't, we do not recruit from SEC schools. Sorry, and so that was hard. I mean, literally, it was four or five, six months of cold emailing, getting rejected, interviewing, getting rejected, cold emailing, getting rejected. There's a ton of competition for it because it's technically the highest paying job you can get out of undergrad with just an undergraduate degree. Um, but that was probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Um, but I was able to get in there and realize that all that work was for nothing because investment banking sucks. Um, but it led me here. So it was all, yeah. it's all good. Well, at least you finished, figured that out before yeah. a career there. That's true. It took me working in engineering for a few years to figure that out. Yeah. Um, what book have you gifted more than any other? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for sure. I know it's kind of cliche, but I love that book and I've, I've given it to a lot of people. Um, so I was invited, not official yet. I was invited do a dinner with Kiyosaki oh in a goodness. couple of weeks. So I've, I, I'm, I'm waiting for it to be official because like it was the invitation, but like we'll see, like, you know, a private dinner. Yeah. But that would be an awesome experience. That would be amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure he's got a lot to say about the economy right now. Uh, he's got, I mean, he, <laughs> he's, no, he's no different than Trump with his mean tweets. I mean, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah he's very, very uh, out there. Very clear on where, very, you, yeah. very clear on where he stands. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, a few quick announcements again. If you like this con uh, content, all right, if you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It really helps us reach more people, right? I'm very serious when I say I want to create 100 millionaires. Last night, we were able to give a plaque to Ryan Zola, and that was an incredible honor of mine. We do have our sales masterclass. If you guys are interested in checking that out, go to disruptors.com, and then we do have our live event as well, disruptors.com slash sales disruptors and then we have par in the disruption we got eric brewer chris jefferson rj Bates. we're gonna be doing a live debate show next oh, week good. so be sure to check that out all right what are some last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with um i just like to let you guys know and i'm i'm not some genius i don't have any sort of special skills i'm just a normal guy that um became very dedicated to, to building a real estate business and you can do it too. I think all it really takes is dedication, taking action, and then putting yourself, like you said, in, in a, a mastermind group where you can learn from those who have already done what you want to achieve. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got. All right. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, you can message me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I have Instagram, but I deleted from my phone, so I won't answer that. Um, or you can email me, joseph at rapidfireinvestments.com. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Incredible honor.
Thank you guys. I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we got part in the session. Next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.